0: Friends, we're continuing um, looking at Romans 8. Romans 8. So I invite you to either turn to your Bibles or the Bible app, or it'll be on the screen. We'll be reading verses 18 through 30 of Romans 8. It can be found in the Pew Bibles on page 1610. Paul writes this. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who are the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we eagerly await our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those He predestined, He also called. Those He called, He also justified. Those He justified, He also glorified. This is the word of the Lord. Paul begins this section talking about the present sufferings, these present sufferings. And for Paul, the sufferings of his time were significant. There was a famine that was sweeping through the land. We know that from reading the book of Acts. The Roman Empire was in charge of most things and ruled with an iron fist. The church that had started in Jerusalem had been so persecuted there that it spread out to surrounding areas. And Paul himself had been beaten and put in prison. People had told lies about him. He knew what suffering was. He says, the sufferings of this present time. But the truth is that phrase, the sufferings of this present time, is something that can be said for any time, anywhere, There are plenty of sufferings to go around. In our own context, we're dealing with the lingering effects of a global pandemic. We have political turmoil in our country, an assassination of another leader in another country, war in Ukraine. And we have our own things that we carry. Some of us take daily medication for depression or diabetes, or Parkinson's, or MS. Some of us or some of those we love are going through treatments for cancer. We have children or grandchildren or dear friends who wandered away from faith. The sufferings of our present time are plentiful which is why we need to be so cautious in how we use Romans 8, particularly verse 28, where it says, all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. If you're in a season of deep spiritual turmoil, if you're going through a season of suffering and someone says to you, well, you know, all things work together for good, you are well within your rights to want to smack them. I said, want to. (laughs) Because when someone says that to us, well, you know, all things work together for good, they're not moving any closer to our suffering. They're actually using that as a way to distance themselves from our suffering. People are really good at throwing out the clichés that keep them distanced from our suffering. Some of you have been in funeral homes and had people say things like, well, God must have loved her so much he wanted her home. What is that? That is unhelpful. God loved her here too. It's not like he loves her more now that she's dead. That's Don't say that. It just makes God sound mean. Or people will say things like, well, you know, You can, you know, you can have other children. Some of us have heard that at funeral homes. A young widow of mine, a friend of mine, when she was, they'd just been married two years, her husband was killed in a car accident. Someone said, well, you'll get married again. Not helpful. In fact, deeply hurtful. Or people will say things like, well, now she's an angel in heaven. No. No, she's not. Let's be clear, angels are angels, people are people. When you die, you do not become an angel. That's not the way it works. It's like saying, well, now she's a tiger. No. (laughs) No, she's not. No. Or people say this, everything happens for a reason. Don't say that. That is not what this passage is about. And when you say to someone, well, you know, everything happens for a reason, you've given them a lifetime of homework. Here, this horrible thing has happened in your life. Now, spend the rest of your life figuring out why. When you're engaged in walking with someone who is deep in their suffering, the best thing to say may be, I don't know what to say. And we hear that in this text, that that's not only biblical, it's also divine. Paul writes in in his text, The Spirit comes in our weakness. The Spirit intercedes. We don't know what to pray for. And those of you who have gone through times of suffering, you know there are times you just don't even know what to say in prayer. And Paul says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, verse 26. We don't know how to pray. The Spirit himself intercedes for us with wordless groans. Other translations say sighs too deep for words. The Spirit doesn't slap an emotional band-aid cliche on us. The Spirit gathers up our sorrows and sufferings and brings them to the throne of God. Groans too deep for words. And the Holy Spirit has been doing this for generations. In our Bible, we have 150 psalms. 42 of those psalms are psalms of lament. Psalms where the author grabs God by the lapels and says, what are you doing? Why did you let this happen? How long, O oh Lord, how long will you forget me forever? You see, there's an assumption In our Holy Scripture, that when you live in an imperfect and broken world, and you worship an almighty God, there are going to be things that happen that you don't get. Why did God allow that? Why did that happen? And our Jewish ancestors in the faith say, that's not when you move away from God, that's when you move toward God, and you get right in God's face because God can take it. That's what a relationship with God includes. And so Paul is building on that biblical foundation here in Romans 8. Paul, being a good Jew, would have known all of the psalms by heart. He would have known the psalms of lament. And he's building on that, and he says this is what the Spirit does. He gathers those up, our laments. And brings them to the throne. So God understands our suffering. He knows our suffering. But Paul doesn't stop there. It's not that just God understands our suffering, that he's got a list. We know that in the person of Jesus Christ, God took on flesh, became one of us. Knows what it's like to suffer. The little things that happen to our bodies like hangnails and stubbed toes, Jesus gets that. And the big things, like when your family doesn't understand you or when you're betrayed. Jesus knows. Jesus knows what it's like to stand at the grave of a friend and weep. He gets it. but that's not all Jesus does. We know that he gathers up our sufferings and our sorrows, the deep aches in our heart, and he takes them to the cross. And in his death and in his resurrection, he makes a way for suffering and sorrow to be no more. And someday that will happen. It's not that everything happens for a reason, It's that everything will be redeemed. That's what we're pointing toward. That's what Paul is talking about, that we were created and then we fell and then we get redeemed and someday we'll be restored. That's the movement, that God is moving us always from death to life. And that someday everything will be redeemed. And we get glimpses of that redemption in this life, praise God. We get glimpses of that. Some of us know the redemption of a second marriage. Some of us know the redemption of moving from addiction to sobriety. Some of us know the redemption of an estranged relationship that is reconciled. We know that sometimes there are glimpses of redemption in the middle of the pain. But those glimpses, let's be clear, those glimpses of redemption do not undo the pain. In one of the best books on suffering, called A Grace Disguised by Jerry Sitzer, Jerry tells the story about how years ago he was driving his car with his whole family in it. They were in a horrible accident. And in that one accident, he lost his wife, his daughter, and his mother-in-law. And one of his sons was badly injured. And so in a grace disguised, Jerry, who at the time was a religion professor at Whitworth University in Spokane, Washington, writes about his lament, writes about his wrestling with God. And he also writes about some of the good things that came as a result of the accident. The Whitworth community rallied around them in ways that he still doesn't even know. They found a great nanny to help their hurting boys. By the way, that nanny's son is now one of my students at Calvin. They made friends that they wouldn't have made if the accident hadn't happened. But the only he writes this, Much good has come from the accident, but all the good in the world will never make the accident itself good. Much good has come from it, but it remains a horrible, tragic, and evil event to me. The badness of the event and the goodness of the results are related, to be sure, but they're not the same. The results are a consequence of the accident, but the results do not make the accident legitimate or right or good. The glimpses of redemption that we get in this life help us to bear the loss, but they don't undo the loss. That's why Paul here reminds us that we're on a journey. He says we've been predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son, And those he predestined, he called and justified and glorified. That's the movement. That's where we're going. You can imagine working at a place like Calvin that I get questioned about predestination a lot. What is it? What's it about? Well, predestination is about salvation, okay? It's not about what socks you put on in the morning. It's not that there's one person you need to marry or there's one job you're going to have. No, no, no. It's about salvation. I tell my students it's like a GPS. You plug your destination into the GPS and you get going. And if you take a wrong turn, your GPS very calmly says to you, recalculating recalculating. It may say, at the next light, make a U-turn. Right? Your GPS is very calm. It doesn't yell at you. You idiot. You missed it. Turn around. Right? It's just like, I'm going to get you where you need to go. We're good. Predestination is God planting something deep in us that draws us back to Him. And we may take Wrong roads. And we may drive through bad weather. And we may drive on horrible roads. But the Holy Spirit will say, recalculating. Recalculating. Predestination is God saying, I love you so much that I'm going to do whatever it takes to bring you home to bring you life, to bring you salvation. That's what it's about. That's the invitation that God gives us. He's like, I love you so much that all of the stuff in this world that could so easily separate us, I just do away with that. And someday, the suffering that you carry will be no more. Someday you will be home. Someday you will be fully redeemed. The vision we're given in Revelation... It's of God descending to be with his people. Heaven is not us going up. It's God coming down. God comes down to be with his people. And John says there will be no more mourning or crying or sadness or pain for all of those things will have passed away. And God himself will be with us and will wipe every tear from our eyes. Everything Will be redeemed. Thanks be to God. Amen. Will you pray with me? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we give you praise and thanks that you are the one who made a way from death to life. We thank you for the glimpses of redemption we get today. We thank you for the redemption that we see on the table, that we come forward and take and eat and drink and remember that suffering is not where our story ends. We thank you, Jesus Christ, for your sacrifice on the cross, for the way you made for us when there was no way. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you continue to intercede for us and that you give us words or no words when we are with someone suffering. May we represent your grace and peace and presence to others. We thank you for your word and the truth it holds. And we pray this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.